Rob's got a jingle. Because the jingle already exists. Like triple R S A T. We just build the thing around the jingle, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, Sleep Country, we're coming for you. <laughs> Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Rob Minot, and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter. Hey, and welcome everybody to yet another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. I am Rob Minot. Today, I am joined by Ryan Fleury. Hey there. And Steve Barkley. Look, it's me. <laughs> That's right. Hey, sad news, eh? Yeah. Stuart oh, McLean, yeah. Stuart vinyl McLean Cafe. Died. The yeah. end of the Vinyl Cafe. Oh, it's so sad. Yeah. Listen to that for years. Yeah, that was. That was crazy. Yeah, I, I, I know this is this is a real cultural thing because mm-hmm. uh, um, the the number of people who have on my social feeds been lamenting this and and talking about how much they listen to it, I feel almost un-Canadian. I think I've listened to Vinyl Cafe maybe twice in my life. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I'll download the podcast and go back and listen to some of them. He's just a, such a good storyteller. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I. You know what? So I'm kind of with Steve. I, I've actually only heard it. A couple times and yep. he wasn't a real huge part of my life like a lot of people mm-hmm. apparently but wow to lose leonard cohen and Stuart mclean in like the same same year well wait no technically i guess we did. we lost him. leonard was last year was he last year yeah, okay okay well but still it's in the same two months mm-hmm. yep that was it's pretty bad yeah that's uh that's a big hit to canadian culture yeah, right there mm-hmm. in the tragedy you know yeah. uh what's his name tragically hip Gord Downey, yeah. Gord Downey. Well, he's not know? dead yet. Well, it? no, I don't think so. But yeah, he's still with us. He's sorry, sorry, Gord. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, Matt. <laughs> Reports of your death have been greatly exaggerated. I didn't mean he was dead, but I just that's the fake you news, know, Rob. Fake <laughs> news. <laughs> An alternative fact. We're going to get banned from Facebook. <laughs> uh, uh, hey, so I'm excited about today's episode. Yes, we're uh, we're right in your wheelhouse here. Right, both are wheelhouses. Come on, you're a video game <laughs> geek too. I don't think I'm a video game geek to the same level that Maybe you're not, a video game. Maybe not, but we're geek. we're kindred spirits. Yes, we're kindred spirits. We're going to be talking to Mark Barlay, who is the executive director and founder of the Able Gamers Foundation. Fan bloody tastic. I know. A topic near and dear to our hearts. Yep. Video games. Ryan, what was your favorite video game growing up? Well, when I was growing up, we had ColecoVision. Yep. We had the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Yep. So. What about the Intellivision? Can't forget the Intellivision. Uh, I never had the Intellivision or played it, but I think, I guess the game I had the most fun with was arcade game. Like in in the arcades, would be Hang On. It was a motorcycle. Okay. Oh, motorcycle right. Is that the one you ride? Track. Yeah. Okay. So I like that one. And then for the consoles, if you want to call them that, I always like the Donkey Kong. Oh, yeah. Donkey Kong. Yeah, that was a classic. That was a ColecoVision classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Frogger. Frogger. Can't forget Frogger. Yeah, that's true. Joust. Joust. Yeah. I love Joust. <laughs> Joust was pretty cool. Joust. Um. But wait, but you would have been a, a Nintendo kid, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, I remember Zelda. Yeah. Um, I didn't play Nintendo a lot. Zelda's the only one that's coming to mind. Really? You didn't? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had a Genesis uh, as well. I mean, that was my college years, but spent a lot of time drinking and playing <laughs> my Genesis. All right. Well, then without further ado, why don't we go ahead and bring them on? Let's bring them in. Let's do it. Uh, we are happy to have with us today Mark Barlet, who is the executive director and founder of the Able Gamers Foundation. Hey, Mark. Hi, how are you? We are well. So let's start things off and just tell us uh, a little bit about what you guys do at the Able Gamers Foundation. So Able Gamers is a charity that was really founded to make sure that um, people with disabilities can have a rich social life and rich social experiences using video games is kind of the tool in which we do that. Um, we really think that, you know, video games are a multi, multi-billion dollar industry and we wanted to just make sure that people with disabilities were included in the fun. What was sort of the genesis of the, of the, of the charity? So Able Gamers was really kind of founded out of a need uh, in my own family. I'm a service-disabled veteran, um, but my disability doesn't really affect the way I play video games. Um, my, my best friend from the sixth grade, uh, we grew up together, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in the early 2000s. Um, we used video games to stay connected. Uh, she was a military wife. You know, I had left the military and was starting my own career. And video games were just a tool that we used to kind of stay friends and have fun and still be together even though we were 2,000 miles apart. Right. Um, so on Fridays, we used to always play together. And one Friday, my friend didn't log in. So I, I gave her a call and her husband picked up the phone and I could hear my best friend crying in the background. So I did what any friend would do. And I said, like, what's wrong? What's going on? You know, And what we found out was that that day, multiple sclerosis had decided that the hand that she plays with her mouse with didn't want to work. And so she wasn't going to be gaming. And she was really upset because, you know, multiple sclerosis was taking away something she really, really loved. And so instead of playing that night, I kind of spent time on the internet looking for some solutions that I thought would help her. Um, Because, you know, my Friday nights were something I looked forward to. And I didn't want them to go away. And we weren't really finding anything that, that was actionable. So we kind of took that as a calling that maybe if disabilities was affecting the way my family was enjoying video games, and there might be other people that had a similar challenge. And so the mission of Able Gamers was born. Uh, and just out of curiosity, what, what game were you guys playing? So at the time we were playing EverQuest 2. So we're kind of dating ourselves. Whoa, um, yeah. But we started in playing EverQuest. I'm I'm much older than I sound. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember EverQuest. I, I you know, but that was one of the first real social games where you were, you know, you were in a world with other real people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Before WoW, I mean, sort of WoW came in and and sort of broke the mold and changed everything. But but certainly before that, EverQuest was the thing. Yeah. So when what so what solution did you eventually come up with for her? So we had found a couple. I mean, the thing with if anyone 
who has most, uh, multiple sclerosis knows that, you know, it toys with you. Um, so a month and a half later, her mouse hand came back to life and she was able to mouse again. But in the meantime, we had um, found a, a product that wasn't even a, isn't even available anymore called an Ergodex, which um, let her move keys anywhere she wanted and program them the way she wanted. And she could um, she was able to create a little custom keyboard that allowed her to use her left hand to mouse because we could we'd streamline the keyboard for her right hand, which she was having problems with to the point where she could actually play a little bit again. And, you know, what we really initially created was just a safe space for people with disabilities. We kind of created a website and our idea was, well, you know, people can have a place to share solutions and people will have a place to um, ask questions and other people with disabilities can kind of share what they did. Um, and that worked a little bit, but it didn't work like we thought it should. So we really just forced us to kind of grow and really own this concept of game accessibility, not just as a safe place, but as a, as a mission to fight for. Right. I mean, I've, I've been seeing, you know, sort of homemade, homebrewed accessibility solutions for, for consoles for quite a while. Um, but they're usually pretty rare and it's usually sort of just one-offs. Do you, well, um, and they are because every disability, I mean, every, every person who is looking for ways to interface, you know, needs something slightly different. Um, we actually created, uh, with the help of evil controllers, a, um, uh, a controller. We really have kind of this thought process when we approach, um, creating custom stuff that 80% of the problem is repeatable. So 80% of talking to the console and having the console listen to whatever device is that challenge is repeatable no matter what the last 20% is. Right. So our approach is really not customized individual solutions from beginning to end. But what we tried to do is standardize 80% of it and customize 20% of it. That makes it repeatable. It also is, is a little bit better from a funding perspective because you don't have to reinvent the wheel each individual time. And we still get the flexibility we need to help people. So do you guys mainly like, do you, do you mainly work with hardware or do you, are you also involved um, in sort of the, the software part of it where you're partnering with different uh, game development companies? So able gamers um, really quickly as we um, started this endeavor realized that in order to, to really win um, what we wanted, we really had to focus on game developers because it really doesn't help us at all um, if the types of options that people with disabilities need aren't included in the game. So um, very quickly after we started, we realized this and started making inroads um, into the game space. And I can't actually even tell you the number of patches and the number of features that have been added because of feedback from able gamers. I mean, right off the bat, you mentioned World of Warcraft. I can think of at least five things that were added um, over the years to World of Warcraft based solely on the feedback that we were giving 
uh, the people at Blizzard. One of the first patches, as a matter of fact, to EverQuest 2 was a colorblind patch that I suggested when I went to the studio before the game launched. So one of the first patches that came out for the commercial version of EverQuest 2 was a colorblind because they had marked their monsters red for harder than what you can do. There was this thing called the con system. So if you could kill it, it was green. If it was going to be a challenge, it was blue. And if it was going to kill you instantly, it was red. Well, people that were red, green, colorblind couldn't tell the difference between stuff they could kill and stuff they couldn't. Right. Um, So one of the first patches they added was a visual perspective where they put some kind of filigree around the name of the monster if it was red. So not only was it red, but it also had a visual cue for you. Right. By being fancy, that it was probably going to get fancy on you. Right. Don't right. poke the dragon. <laughs> Correct. Um, and and so I guess initially, I guess you would you would be approaching them, but these days, do they approach you and and ask you to sort of give a interface a run through and and give them suggestions? So I'm under a ton of NDAs on a lot of different things, but the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> I, have, I have been privileged to see a lot of amazing games long before they hit the shelf. And through the hard work that me and my team have done, where we have proven ourselves time and time again to be advocates and supporters, oftentimes we just get cold calls. One of my team members will just get a call from their friend at, you know, insert game company here. That says, you know, hey, Steve, I'm trying to figure out how we would approach this. Here's what the scenario looks like. What do you think? And, you know, Steve or myself or whoever it is they happen to reach out to, be like, oh, yeah, just do this and this, and I think you'll have it tackled. And they're like, okay, great, thanks, and then just hang up. So, you know, that's why I say I think we've lost count with the number of things that we've, we've helped. And I think to that point, we've been doing this for so long that I think game companies really are doing a much better, not perfect, job of kind of knowing what the answer is even before they ask us the question. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of going to be my next question was, you know, whether or not, what what your take on it, whether the industry has become a lot better. Because it, it from the outside, certainly, it, it looks like it's, it's more of a conversation these days than it used to be 10 years ago. So, so more than it was 10 years ago, a thousand percent correct. Um, what I, I think has happened is that um, we have been kind of beating at the gate trying to get game companies to understand that people with disabilities are a market that is worth catering to. And it's taken some time, but they have, they have in the last couple of years really started to listen and i think that's really due to the prevalence of video games in our society now but also you know the advocates out there trying to show and and it's really funny it was what we never did as an organization and what we don't do is what we don't we don't tell game companies a sad story we've we don't go like oh so and so can't play your game sad face you should put a feature in there that lets so-and-so play the game. Um, I can get a response from that, but I will only get a response one time for one game. If I 
because of my own business background, we really took on this, this model of showing people with disabilities as a valued market that had money that needed to be spent and that we will spend it on stuff that creates the features that we need. And by approaching that, I think that that for game companies really triggers a different part of the brain where they're like, it is a crowded market and more and more people are developing games. I want a market differentiator. I want to say, of course you can play my game because I want players. Let me include these features that these able gamers folks are asking for because why wouldn't I want more gamers? Right. And I think that was a win for us because our story is, hey, help us help you make more money. <laughs> and that always works. <laughs> it, 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 it works a lot better than many other strategies. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and you know, and, and video games really have taken on a new meaning in the past, say, 10, 15 years because it's not just about you know, simple entertainment, there are, there are, it, it can be used as a social platform um, as well, especially, you know, the, the you know, the MMOs. Um, and, you, you know, they're, they're also heavy in the culture as well. And so to exclude any sort of um, demographic from that, I mean, it's important. It's important to include people with disabilities in, in, in those conversations. A hundred percent agree. Um, I think that the internet and the ability to so games to me are no longer like tackle a puzzle um tackle a puzzle solve something get better win i think they're tackle a puzzle solve something get better win with friends (laughs) and i think it's the with friends part that really moved video games from something that was kind of socially almost frowned upon 15, 10, 15 years ago to like a valid form of entertainment. Like I can spend time watching a movie with my friends or I can spend time, you know, at my friend's house or we can jump on a game and have as meaningful experience in a world that technically doesn't exist, but the social aspects of it are 100% real. And I'm going to ask you, Mark, this is Ryan. Rob and Steve are both gamers and I'm totally blind so have you guys worked with anybody who has a visual impairment or total blindness and tried to adapt or have games adapted? So this is a sticky wicket for me. I'm not going to lie. We have done our best to foster developers who are making games for the blind. And we do have audio people who are educating game companies on how to better include people with visual impairments. But there is a real challenge because it's still a money issue of getting especially AAA mainstream gamers to game companies to buy into the total blind um, accessibility market. Right. Because it's, it's really in their minds hard and I am not saying this as me. I'm saying this as something that I've been told is that the market is so small Mm -hmm. that there's no rate of return if something like a Grand Theft Auto were to put in um, 
all the pieces that would need to be put in to allow a totally blind person to enjoy it. Yeah, and I understand that. You know, a lot of it you know, it comes down to, same with electronics manufacturers, you know, once they realize that building accessibility into their products um, is important, you know, my dollars are just as important as the next person's. So, you know, as, as small said, as the market is. But that said, I will say that the indie de game development world, this new world where someone with an idea and a couple of bucks and a programming background can create a game and get it out there has, I think in the last five years, changed uh, gaming for um, the totally blind and the visually impaired because, you know, we just funded a Kickstarter of a New Zealand group that is making a gaming platform to develop blind games because, you know, we as an organization want everyone gaming and sometimes the best way we can make that happen is just just to you know fund other projects that yeah. are working towards that goal and you know that to me is the the indie market has has changed because the rate of return there is so low in the sense of you know if it's just one guy who has this idea and he pounds it out in a weekend throws it up on the on the Steam store or throws it up in, in the Android marketplace, you know, he just needs 10 or 15 people to adopt his game and, and, and he's in a net positive. Right. That to me, and that's not just because it's a blind game, that's because that's what the indie marketplace is doing, you know, that a developer can kind of put his own sweat equity into a project and can potentially make money off it without the, the studios and without the publishers. Right. I think that is a revolution in gaming, not just for the visual impaired, for all gaming sure. that is amazing. And why I think accessibility in the AAA space has gotten better, it's because the indies were much earlier adopters. Right, and it's especially, you know, given the, the advent of, of digital distribution, I think, is really, is you know, was part of that as well. You know, it really changed the game in terms of um, helping indie game developers flourish. Yep, we, you know, we could develop a game on this podcast, if any of you can program, and we can have it up onto a marketplace, you know, in, in a matter of hours. Right. And that's kind of amazing. It mm -hmm. is. Let, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> that that'll be a much longer podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Well, you know what? Tell us a little bit because it sounds like you guys are kind of two pronged in a way. I mean, you you sort of working with with game developers on the back end, but I mean, you also help gamers like who who would come to you and and ask you to build a system for them. Can you yeah, tell so us? We, can you can tell us a little bit about that process and what it's like? So we do have um, we do have an accessible uh, a center on inclusive play. Um, it's located outside of Washington D.C. in Harpers Ferry, West Virginia, but we do take it elsewhere. But this is where our headquarters is, um, and we have people come in, and we have a lab that they can um, come into, and we have all the equipment that we would need. Um, from an off-the-shelf perspective, but we also have like crafting material so that we can craft things. And they can come in and work with one of our accessible technologists and we basically figure out how to get them gaming again. 
Um, there's actually a third prong, which is sometimes people with disabilities can't afford the things that we come up with. You know, if you're if you've got like spinal muscular atrophy or advanced cerebral palsy or something like that, the controller that we end up having to build for you can cost upwards of 2,400 bucks when it's all said and done. Right. And people with disabilities, especially um, if you're not working, um, have real limitations on spending that kind of money on something that's not food and shelter. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have a grant program where we use our, you know, we use the money that um, is given to us by the public and corporations because we are a charity and we just pay for that. We build that controller and give it to them for free. Um, right. I mean, it's not really free. We just don't charge them anything for for it. Um, because ultimately at the end of the day, we want people gaming. Uh, we want people to have fun. We want them to have rich social experiences. We want them to have friends. You know, we want them to be able to present themselves in a way that, you know, doesn't, where their disability doesn't define them for them. You know, this is the great thing about video games is, you know, you can just be whatever you want to be. And we want everyone to have that. So we'll just grant and grant controllers to people who can't afford them. That's awesome. Um, what, what kind of uh, AT do you actually use to, to sort of integrate into uh, the different systems? I imagine like switches and eye gaze systems. So we have eye gaze. Um, we, have, we use eye gaze style systems. We have um, this, this partnership with Evil Controllers where we created the Adroit Switchblade. Uh, which is a patch panel for switches that talks natively to Xbox, but we can um, use some trickery to get it to talk to PlayStations and even computers. Um, but, you know, again, that's it does 80% of the work, and then the switches and the things we build with the switches becomes the 20%. Um, we have had some really great success with uh, the new um, Xbox Elite controller because it has some features in it that, people are um, gravitating to like you can program the trigger switches to be that don't they so they don't have to be pushed all the way down but literally just tapped and they'll fire um we do a lot of custom arcade sticks which are like controllers that are laid out flat on a table um this is really good for somebody who doesn't have fine motor skill but has you know has control of their arms but not necessarily their fingers Uh, we even have quad sticks so controllers that just use um your mouth and your breath to control games. And I mean, what's your take on, on the, like are, are the, are, are Microsoft and, and PlayStation, are they getting better at, or, or at least more open to the idea of universal design? Like, do you think we'll get to a point where they actually build the controller from the ground up? It's just an accessible controller. Do I, do I think that we're going to see a controller that is universally designed ready. Um, I'd like to think so. Am I going to see it in the near future? I don't know, but I will say that with the controllers the way they are, you know, where they have, you know, it's possible. Now, is Microsoft paying attention? I do think they're paying attention, but I don't know when we're going to see something like that, but I would like to see it. Well, I do know the two that they're they've started working on um, incorporating narrator into the Xbox as well. So accessibility seems to be you know a, a big 
push right now in in the mainstream. Well, there's a reason for that, though. There's a there's a legitimate reason. So our uh, our federal communications commission a couple of years ago passed something called the CVAA, which in really going to dumb it down, but it talks about telephony and how people with visual impairments um, can use communication. And for a long time, for a couple of years, gaming devices were waived out of this need. Um, but that waiver has expired. Mm. And in the process of that waiver expiring, game companies, because they had to comply, um, were starting to make this exploration into how they could do this. Now, what I think is really great about this is that that was a catalyst, but now that they've started doing it, I think that's why you're seeing the big push for accessibility. CVAA doesn't really require accessibility from what I've read beyond this really small use case, but companies, it, what it did do is it woke up where you know they had heard us before talking about us, but now the federal government is telling them, hey, you need to pay attention to this piece of disability uh, legislation. And they kind of went, oh, Okay, and then they so to their credit, I think that they are taking it further than they now they're seeing. Oh, this isn't that hard, and what they're asking for isn't really that big of a deal. Right. I mean, Microsoft just released in their patch. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it allows you to tether two controllers together as if they were one controller. Now, most people would go that. That sounds kind of goofy, but for someone who might have no ability to hold a controller, having a controller that they can control with their left hand and the other side they can control with their right hand, right. and they don't have to be near each other, that was an accessibility feature. Right, right. Huh. I just want to be able to use a mouse instead of a controller. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a diehard PC gamer, and my son just kicks my ass on any kind of console. I can tell you how to. Oh, can you? It's possible. Oh, yeah, it's possible. Anything is possible. Well, let me let me ask you this then. Um, in terms of the different platforms, because you know you're, you're you're dealing with PC gaming, you're dealing with Xbox, and you're dealing with PlayStation. Um, is anyone system or console a little easier to customize than the other? Yes. Um, if, I mean, true, truth be told, PC gaming is the winner. Right. Because the USB port is open. Right. So I don't need tricks. I don't need gimmicks. I don't need hoops to talk to a PC. I need tricks, I need gimmicks, I need hacks to talk to the PlayStation and Xbox because the communication protocol between that controller and that device is, is an encrypted, closed loop system. Right. And you can make, you can make um, Xbox controllers or PlayStation controllers but the SDK is a three hundred thousand to one million dollar license. <laughs> Ouch! Wow. Meanwhile, you can download a basic HUD 
driver for free <laughs> and build a peripheral that uses HUD, which is, you know, and USB for nothing. Right. So, but the reality is not all games are on PC. So we work with all of them. But if I were coming into gaming for the first time and wanted the most flexibility I could possibly get, I would steer you towards the PC. Yeah, I suspected that. Um, but is now, but is the Xbox though a little easier than the PlayStation because because it's similar to to Windows, a Windows hierarchy no. or PC hierarchy? No, no, because the 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 one thing that's blocking it is the protocol between the controller and the machine. Right. So, do you always modify the controllers? Like, do you ever interface directly with the machine itself? You can't. That's the problem. Oh, okay. It only listens to one thing. So everything has to basically dongle off of a controller. There's a chip sitting on the board that has a license key in it. And basically the communication is, hey, do you have, are, are you real? Yes, here's my number. Got it. Let's talk. I have to negotiate that every single time. And the only way I can negotiate that is to do it through the controller. Now, here's a question and just, you know, pure conjecture. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's something that they they would ever look at and change on, on the consoles to make to make it easier? Pure conjecture? Probably. If the demand was there and more importantly, if one of the if if PlayStation did it and Xbox didn't right. or Xbox did it and PlayStation didn't, you know, they're in a competition. Right. So it's really who's going to blink. Right. But the reality is they make a ton of money off of controllers. You lose them, you break them, and they charge you $65 for a new one. I think the thing probably costs $6 to make. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Which is why they charge 200000 to a million for an SDK because they <laughs> want their money. Right. Uh... So – Back way back in the day, going going back, well, maybe not that many years ago, but um, with the uh, the early PlayStations, there used to be all kinds of um, hacks and mods for them, mostly around trying to steal games. But uh, is is that not around anymore? Is that pretty much been defeated by the manufacturers? Any kind of hardware modding? Um, I think so. I mean, it's it's. It's hard to say because I was never a super modder, but I think that they've got the DRM pretty tight, and I think they have the DRM pretty tight without being intrusive. Right. So, I mean, they're doing everything they can to keep people from trading in their games, but other than that, I I don't see a lot of I don't see a lot of of console hacks directly anymore. Right. Uh, what's, what are some of the, I don't know, the frustrations that you guys come up against in, in terms of, of modding? And I mean, we may have already covered this in, in talking about some of this stuff, but you know, what, what, what's not sort of meeting expectations, um, in terms of developers right now and, and what is, I think that, I think everyone's kind of meeting expectations. I know that's not the answer you want to say. I think that they're meeting everyone. I think right now is legitimately doing their best. What's really missing is potentially the knowledge gap. 
they might not quite understand what the best is, but I think everyone's really doing their best. The frustration I have, I really do mean it when I say we struggle very, very hard to get across that communication gap. I mean, if I could, you know, find a, um, a genie that would give me some wishes, I think the wish that I would ask for is to let me talk to the console directly. Other than that, I mean, and that would just get frustration out of my way. Right. I've already figured out how to bridge it, but I would have more options if I didn't have to bridge it. Right. But I think developers are doing, could definitely do better, but I see more and more accessibility and I see more and more people asking about it and I see more and more going on with it than I've ever seen before. You know, I'm seeing button remappability, which is important for people with disabilities, now on the console level on both Xbox and PlayStation. If you would have told me that that was going to happen five years ago, you know, if I was five years ago, you would have asked me that. I would have told you, like, no way. They don't care. But both of them have it now. This ability to toggle two controllers together on Xbox is great. PlayStation had that for years. I just give them credit where credit is due. Um, but to call that an accessibility feature. Naughty Dog just released an Uncharted game, and for the first time ever in a AAA game, in the options panel, there's the word accessibility, which is like amazing mm -hmm. and what, that a AAA game has the word accessibility in the options panel. What sort of features do they include in that? I hate that game, so um, <laughs> I didn't play. But they have mouse sensitivity and colorblind mode, and they have... They had they did a really phenomenal job. I just I don't I don't really hate the game. I just never liked the Uncharted series. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, I play builders. I play builders and MMOs and fun stuff. Yeah, I was I got bit by the MMO bug for for many years. I took some vacation days in Azeroth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, Asheron's Call was was one of my favorites oh. back in the day. Yeah, I remember that. That yeah, wow, that does date you. Yeah, you're you're okay. old. No, I'm, I'm old as hell. <laughs> if I can remember it, damn, that makes you old. <laughs> I my first gaming system was an Atari. I was the first person on my block to have a have a Nintendo system with Robbie the Robot. Um, my first computer was a Commodore sixty four. Oh yes. <laughs> okay, Mark, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow your mind here. I had Pong. Oh. I'm going to blow your mind. <laughs> I got to play the brown box, which was the proto prong with the develop with the guy that created Ralph bear in his basement. Okay. You've got way better nerd cred than I do. <laughs> and, and I have a YouTube of it. Wow. And he also created Simon, the game with the four colors. Oh, no kidding. oh my God. Really? And he signed my Simon for me. Wow. Holy and crap. He passed, he passed away a couple of years ago. His story was amazing. Um, he fled um, Nazi Germany, came to the United States, joined the army. Because he could speak German, they sent him to England to help translate messages. He helped win the, win the war, came back, used his GI Bill, went to college, um, and then invented video games. Wow. Holy crap. Crazy. Oh, I remember those Simons. The big yeah. red thing, yeah. the big red yeah. brick. 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Beep, boop, boop. Yeah. <laughs> And speaking as somebody who's blind again, you know, that's one of the games that's accessible to me. So I want to start playing Call of Duty. You know, make it happen, Mark. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, again, I don't I don't play a lot of shooters. I'm loving Battlefield 1 right now. Um, I don't really like modern warfare games because, you know, I was in the military. And mm. you either go one way or the other. You either like modern warfare games or you don't. And I'm kind of in the don't. But Battlefield 1 went back to World War One, mm-hmm. um, So, you know, I don't really have references for that. And I'm enjoying the heck out of that game. Yeah, I just want to play something other than card games. Well, Getting you know, kind of tired of them. Ryan, you've already mastered um, part of, of the skills that you would need for Call of Duty, which is the shit talking. <laughs> you, you can already do that. So That's you're, like 60% of the game. Is pretty it? much. Excellent. You just log in and just stand just there. And give just, me a gun, run around, start shooting. You suck, shooting. dude. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, just... just equip the knife run around and keep thrashing the knife and eventually you'll hit them well, i'll have to go over to steven robs and try it sometime i, I, I call it anti-social gaming <laughs> tell us a, a little bit about what kind of events uh you guys go to so we go to gaming events like packs and things like that um, so that we can just raise awareness and, and, and raise money so that we can give controllers away. Right. Um, we go to events like Abilities Expo. We were actually, the last one we did was in Toronto, um, where we bring kind of the stuff from the lab to show people with disabilities some of the controllers that might be available to them. Um, and then we're like, we're heading to CSUN in a couple of weeks to just do a talk. Um, those are the kind of events. They're like, they're a mix of fun and boring. Right. And, and how, what's your main uh, fundraising push? Like how, how do you guys tend to raise money? Um, people donate on our website, okay. which and- is www.ablegamers.org. Perfect. And you I see how well he rattled that off there, Rob. <laughs> I think he was prepared. They didn't yeah. make me the executive director for nothing. <laughs> Wait, can you remember the website? Okay. You're- yeah. <laughs> www.ablegamers.org. Great. And I'm assuming that anybody who is also interested in reaching out and maybe talking to you about a system or what you can do for them can reach you the same way. Yeah. If you go to our website, there's a, a button right at the top that says get help and then follow the get help path and it'll, and you can send us a message. We'll ask you some questions and help streamline, you know, so that we understand exactly what you need help with. And um, we will do our best to get a response to you. Um, we are mostly a volunteer organization, so we're not always as quick as we should be. But we do get through all of it, and we will try to guide you where you need to be. Fantastic. And we'll make sure that we uh, include a link in the show notes to the site. So, yeah, anybody who is interested, throwing them some money, you need a customization to your system, drop them a line. It's true. Mark, thanks so much for uh, stopping by and chatting with us. This was really cool. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, Mark. Thank you, Mark. All right. Thanks much, Mark. Take Take care. That was pretty good. That was cool. Yeah. That was very interesting. Right, Ryan? I want to play video games. <laughs> I, he, so you know tired what? of blackjack and no, solitary he's got and crap a, like that. He's got a really good point about Call of Duty, man. Just equip the knife and just run. Just yeah. run at things. Like, honestly. like When they hit walls and buildings and stuff? That's oh, yeah. not... That's, that's, 
<laughs> doesn't matter. Just, just all you need to know is how to stab and mm-hmm. just run and just run and stab. Honestly, that's not all that much different <laughs> on how I play, anyways. <laughs> It's true, right, Steve? Steve's played. Really, really, I think, uh, rather than the knife, he should equip the grenade. Oh, even better. Because <laughs> trust me, we're all playing against 12-year-olds, yeah. and they're all just Kicking sniping us anyway. from oh, they're a just roof somewhere. Just anyway. us. Yeah. I remember Mike, Mike uh, wasn't uh, Call of Duty. What, what was it? Uh, oh, no, I think it was one of the Call of Duties. He got it on the uh, console. And, you know, I'm used to playing it online, so, you know, mm. I, I'm, I was okay online. I wasn't good but right. i was i was i could hold my own for you know two or three minutes well get on the console all of a sudden i'm doing it with my thumbs and it's hard and it's so much harder to aim and, it is and mike's doing things like okay dad look up look look, look a little higher look a <laughs> little higher okay a little to the left <laughs> boom <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then he'd shoot me as soon as I, as soon as he came on screen. That's it's, funny. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, because me and Steve are both the same. We grew, we cut our teeth on first-person shooting on the PC. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where all the games were. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when I first started here. We remember you were you were big into uh, Rainbow Six. Yep. Right. Yeah. You had you had parties that you'd land parties and stuff that you'd play that. Yep. Every Friday. Yep. And. Uh, yeah, so it's the same for me. So it's hard to make that transition to a console first-person shooter. It's, I still suck at it. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't play console games unless they're you know like I don't know a driving game or something. You know? Right. Like I, I played uh, Grand Theft Auto on console. Sure. I think, but that yep. was about it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So no, that's super interesting. I mean, and it's and it's it sounds encouraging that the industry is sort of taking more serious look at, at the idea of universal design it sounds like both software and hardware so it's a kind of about time it is yeah for sure because he's absolutely right it's a huge demographic i mean you know especially things like mmos that that do act as a as a social outlet for people so people who are you know somebody who's in a chair who spends a lot of time at home you know it's a it's such a invaluable outlet for them to be able to to play with their friends and and to be social, right? Yeah. And for us who aren't nerds, what is MMO? Oh, I'm sorry, uh, a massive multiplayer online oh, okay. game. So it's you know it's basically the it's, it's there's only an online component. Right. You log in, you're always online. It's, right. There's yeah. no single player component to it at all. Okay. Uh, Ryan. Rob. Where can people find us? They can find us at www.atbanter.com. Fantastic. They can also email us at atbanterpodcast at gmail.com. Finally. Whoa. You did it. First take. I know. <laughs> That's crazy. crazy. Right? Oh. <laughs> Ta-da. And don't forget, we've also got the Facebooks and the Twitters. And the YouTubes. And the YouTubes, but no Pinterest. Nope. nope. Still no Pinterest. Although we're kicking around the idea about Instagram. Oh, yeah. Somebody was sort of selling me on Instagram, but I don't know what we're going to post pictures of. Yeah, because nobody wants to see us. Flowers, I guess. I don't know. I'll, we'll think of something. Yeah. Yeah, not us. No. No, definitely There's not nothing. us. Yeah, we've, we've got to stay Hidden. mysterious. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Enshrouded in the fog of the internet. That's right. Just sexy voices. That's right. <laughs> uh, excellent. Well, uh, then that is going to do it for us for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you next week. Ciao.
Music provided by bensound.com.